A note before we begin. This episode contains discussions of trauma and natural disaster. Listener discretion is advised, especially for those under 13. Today's case is open and active. If you have information that can help, resources can be found at the end of this episode. In Greek mythology, the harvest goddess Demeter is known for her deep love of her daughter, Persephone. An extremely protective mother, she thinks no man is good enough for her child. Not even a god. When Hades, the ruler of the underworld, chooses Persephone to be his bride, Demeter refuses. So Hades steals her. One day, while Persephone is distracted gathering flowers, Hades pulls her down into the underworld. When Demeter realizes her daughter is missing, she looks everywhere, neglecting her godly responsibilities to find her daughter. The trees and plants she cared for wither away as she grieves, angry that she couldn't save her child from the darkness. Barbara Bellis knows this story well. Her daughter Hannah once gave her a memoir that used the myth as a framing device. At the time, the gesture touched her. It's a story about mothers and daughters, love and loss. But now, it carries a different meaning. Knowing the threat of danger doesn't mean we can protect our loved ones from it. I'm Sarah Turney, and this is Disappearances, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Thursday, I examine a new missing person case ripped from history. I want to better understand the many reasons people disappear and the impact their absences can have on those left behind. Today, I'd like you to meet a young woman who disappeared from an island paradise after a historic hurricane. Her family believes two things. First, she's still alive. And second, she has no idea that her name is Hannah Up. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
We all want to discover who we really are, why we are, but what happens when we get lost on the way to finding ourselves? It's late summer in New York City, 2008. Hannah Up is 23, living with some friends in an uptown apartment. She's about to start her second year of teaching Spanish at a Harlem middle school. She's also pursuing a master's degree at the same time, so there's a lot on her plate. The last Friday in August, she decides to go for a run, maybe to clear her head because school starts in just a few days. Hannah throws on a black sports bra and red running shorts. Then she heads over to Riverside Drive, where there's a path that takes her down the west side of Manhattan along the Hudson River. Hannah doesn't come home that night. Her roommates don't seem to be immediately concerned. It's New York and they're young. Everyone kind of comes and goes. Plus, Hannah had mentioned something about visiting her mom in Pennsylvania that weekend. By Sunday, her roommates start to get anxious. No one has heard from Hannah since Friday and she's not picking up her phone. After another day passes, someone goes into Hannah's bedroom to look around. They find her purse on the floor. Her cell phone, wallet, passport, and metro card are inside. Clearly, something's wrong. They contact the police. For her loved ones, it's hard not to think about the worst case scenario. New York is home to millions of people. It's the most densely populated city in America. One city block is home to an average of about 1,200 people. Even on a short jog, she could have encountered anyone and there's no telling what their intentions might have been. Hannah's community jumps into action. She has lots of friends from near and far. Some fly into town. They camp out at her apartment and spread flyers across the city. They also start a Facebook page called We're Not Giving Up on Hannah. That's up with two Ps, like her last name. The calls for information are accompanied by photos and physical descriptions of what Hannah looks like. White, 23 years old, brown hair, brown eyes, and a pierced nose. As weeks pass, the story circulates around the city. News stations report on Hannah's disappearance, and eventually the mayor's office is notified. On high alert, the United Federation of Teachers offers a reward for information. Hannah's mom, Barbara Bellis, comes and stays at the apartment with her daughter's friends. Of everyone in their immediate family, Barbara is most free to help. Her ex-husband, Hannah's father, is teaching in India, and Hannah's brother lives in Japan. Now, this is just speculation, but as a pastor, I imagine Barbara does a lot of praying while waiting for news of her daughter. Reflecting. Hoping. Especially as a week passes without any word. But 10 days after Hannah leaves for her run, officials receive a lead. Barbara gets a call from a detective asking her to come to Harlem. When she arrives at the precinct, she's shown surveillance footage of a young woman entering an Apple store in Midtown. She's wearing workout gear, a sports bra and running shorts. Barbara knows right away, it's Hannah. But she's confused by what happens next in the video. A man approaches her daughter, he seems to ask a question, but for some reason, Hannah waves him off. She goes to one of the computers in the store, uses it for a bit, and then leaves. Now, the man who approached Hannah in the store was the person who reported the encounter to police. Apparently, he recognized Hannah and asked her if she was the missing teacher he'd seen on the news, but Hannah said no. 
According to police, Hannah used the computer to log into her Gmail account, though I'm not sure why. For Barbara, she's relieved to know that her daughter could still be alive and appear to be unharmed. But now, the question on everyone's mind is, why hasn't Hannah come home? Over the following week, witnesses spot Hannah several more times. At a Starbucks in Soho, a few New York sports clubs around Midtown. Then on September 16th, 20 days after Hannah was last seen, the captain of the Staten Island Ferry notices something unusual in the water that makes his stomach flip. A person bobbing face down in New York's upper bay. It's a woman. And within four minutes, he and some deckhands pull her out of the water. At first, they think she's dead, but then she lets out a heaving gasp. It's Hannah and she's alive. Emergency personnel take her to a hospital. When she arrives, she's confused and scared, but able to give staff two essential details, her name and her mom's phone number. Aside from that, the last thing she remembers is running along Riverside Drive. She has no idea that she's been missing for nearly three weeks. She doesn't remember the encounter in the Apple store, where she slept or how she found food, water, or shelter. The one thing she can sort of recall is being in the water and hanging onto the hull of a boat. But even that memory is murky. Doctors diagnose Hannah with a condition called dissociative fugue. I wanna say upfront that this is a very complex diagnosis. Even those who've dedicated their lives to studying it have only scratched the surface. But as I understand it, it's a condition where people lose access to their autobiographical memory and can't remember who they are. This can last for days or weeks, sometimes years. Usually, the affected individual travels or wanders away from their lives. Psychiatrist Philippe Tissier suggested this fugue state is something of self-exile. The police, Barbara, and Hannah's brother try to help her reconstruct what happened. They use surveillance videos and point to physical ailments, like a blister on Hannah's foot and a sunburn, but Hannah's memories don't resurface. Those 20 days are still gone. It's like she traveled through time and ended up in a future where she was suddenly famous for all the wrong reasons. She's no longer Hannah Up. She's that missing teacher from the news. To make matters worse, because no one, including Hannah, knows what caused the memory lapse, some people accuse her of making the whole story up. She's left feeling confused and guilty. She didn't mean for anything to happen. She didn't mean to cause her loved ones so much pain. She tells the New York Times that the disappearance, quote, made me reconsider everything. Who was I before? Who was I then? Who am I now? Hannah stays in New York for another year. During that time, she undergoes hypnosis, some neurological tests, and sees a few therapists. Doctors tell her the fugue is unlikely to happen again, but they can't be sure. They don't know why it happened in the first place. Eventually, Hannah gets fed up with trying to find answers and decides she just wants to move on. She leaves New York and moves back in with her mother. Barbara lives at Pendle Hill, a predominantly Quaker retreat in Pennsylvania. Hannah works in the kitchen and attends daily worship. She lives there, healing, trying to remember what normal feels like. 
After three years, she gets a job offer for a teaching assistant role at a Montessori school in Kensington, Maryland. It's great news, an opportunity to finally resume her life. Hannah accepts the position and moves to Maryland. She settles in. But that September, Barbara gets a phone call. It's the Maryland police. Hannah never showed up for the first day of school. Her purse, wallet, and cell phone were found on a trail in the woods nearby. It's deja vu. Hannah's missing. Again. They're responsible for some of the most horrifying acts of violence ever known. Men and women who went to lethal extremes. But why? Every Monday and Thursday on Serial Killers, follow the life and crimes of an actual murderer, exploring the reasons why they lived to kill. Using extensive research and details you won't hear anywhere else, Serial Killers examines the psyche of a killer, their motives and targets, and law enforcement's pursuit to stop their spree. Listen now and catch our special series on manhunts, where we follow the processes police use as they hunt for murderers in treacherous terrains and unusual locations. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Serial Killers. Listen free only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. It's September 2012. Hannah Up is missing for the second time in less than five years. When her mother Barbara finds out, she drives to Maryland with some friends to begin searching. They put up flyers, scour nearby woods and roads, and speak to people that live in the area, but they don't learn much. All the information they have to go on is, no one has spoken to Hannah in two days, and she didn't sleep at home last night. The last person to see her was a colleague who saw Hannah walking away from the school on the first morning of classes. The day after Barbara arrives in Maryland, she gets a call at 10.30 p.m. She doesn't recognize the number, but she recognizes the voice right away. It's her daughter. Hannah doesn't remember the last two days. She found herself in a creek over a mile away from her school. After regaining her senses, she borrowed a stranger's phone to call her mom. The doctors were wrong. The fugue happened again. That makes two disappearances both around the first day of school. Both times Hannah came to in a body of water. Keep that in mind as we go forward. I'm not sure if Hannah seeks treatment or goes in for any additional tests after this incident, but I know she's reluctant to let whatever's happening infringe on her life. According to a 2018 article from Rachel Aviv in The New Yorker, she rejects a suggestion from police to wear an ankle monitor and stays in Maryland for the rest of the year. She wants to finish the job she was hired to do, and she does. She completes the school year and gets offered another job, this time working as a teaching assistant in the US Virgin Islands. Hannah is thrilled, and rightfully so. It means she gets to work and live in a place most people only dream of visiting. Now, after everything that's happened, I have to imagine it's hard for her mother to see her move half a world away. 
but it's Hannah's life. She is an adult. Barbara doesn't feel like it's her decision to make. There's a fine line between protecting someone and preventing them from living. So she says goodbye and wishes her daughter well. Hannah settles on the east side of the island of St. Thomas. It's a less touristy spot. As expected, she makes friends quickly and excels at work. The parents of her students adore her and the school's administration supports her interest in Montessori teaching. She has fun outside the classroom too, regularly participating in community events like the annual spring carnival parade. Her close friend on the island, Maggie, finds Hannah's relentless enthusiasm and packed schedule exhausting. But that's Hannah, the life of the party. It seems like Hannah finally found somewhere she feels like she belongs. Pretty soon, four years pass. It's the summer of 2017. Hannah's 32 and graduates with her Montessori degree, something she's always wanted. But as fall approaches, she seems less excited about work and more stressed. When a friend checks in, Hannah explains that she's just focused on preparing for her classes. But by the second week of school, there's a Category 5 storm heading for the Virgin Islands. Hurricane Irma. St. Thomas erupts into a frenzy. Some residents leave the island. Others hunker down, reinforce their homes, and stock up on supplies. On September 6, 2017, Irma makes landfall on the island. Winds reach 185 miles per hour. Homes are destroyed. Businesses flooded. People are swept away to sea. Hannah spends the storm with roommates, sheltering in their apartment's laundry room. Outside, they hear debris smashing against the walls of the building, windows shattering. The winds are so strong, it feels like the concrete around them is moving. As she shelters in place, Hannah nervously texts her mom the play-by-play. When the storm finally passes, the island looks like a war zone. The muck of the ocean has washed over the tropical paradise. Drinking water is hard to come by. There's no power anywhere, and many residents have died. Hannah texts her mom and friends that she's okay, but she says she doesn't recognize the island anymore. Days later, St. Thomas gets dealt even more bad news. A second Category 5 hurricane is on its way. Maria is supposed to hit in a week. There's a mass exodus. Those who have the means to evacuate the island do, including many of Hannah's friends. But Hannah says she's not going anywhere. She feels like her heart is in St. Thomas. She wants to be there for her students. On September 13th, she helps prepare her school for the storm. But a fellow teacher named Norma notices that Hannah doesn't seem like herself. Compliant is the word Norma uses. Hannah speaks in a short and overly agreeable way. The next morning, one of Hannah's roommates sees her leave their apartment and get into her car. Later, someone finds a note from Hannah explaining that she went for a swim before work. Hannah has always loved swimming and frequently goes for dips in the ocean. So this activity isn't unusual, but the timing is. The beaches are already covered in debris and the winds are picking up. People aren't going for casual dips in the water. When Hannah doesn't show up at school the following day, it's cause for concern. She is reliably punctual. Her friend Maggie goes to Hannah's house to check on her, but there's no sign of Hannah or her car. When she calls Hannah's friends back home to ask if maybe she's been in touch, they give her a strange piece of advice. Look by the water. 
Maggie's confused. Like most of the St. Thomas community, she doesn't know about Hannah's past or her dissociative fugue. But still, she and some friends go to check Hannah's favorite beach. Sure enough, her car is parked at the lot. Inside, they find a couple hundred dollars in cash, her passport, credit cards, and cell phone. They locate her keys, shoes, and a beach cover-up nearby. But Hannah is nowhere in sight. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When Hannah Up disappears for a third time, the Coast Guard is brought in three days after her last sighting. Using helicopters and boats, they focus their search on the ocean. Meanwhile, Hannah's friends comb the shorelines alongside volunteers. Search parties travel to neighboring islands. Her friends also check travel documents, wondering if maybe Hannah left St. Thomas on an evacuation boat. Then, three days into the search, Hurricane Maria arrives. It feels unbelievable. In the wake of a record-breaking hurricane, a woman disappears, only to have any potential evidence wiped out by another record-breaking hurricane. After Maria passes, the search continues, but federal rescuers and the Coast Guard are spread thin. People throughout the Caribbean are unhoused, scrambling for food and resources. During emergencies, ports in Puerto Rico usually funnel supplies to smaller islands like St. Thomas, but those were also impacted by Maria. With authorities occupied, former Coast Guard turned EMT Jake Bradley offers to help look for Hannah. Jake and his team are trying to fill the gaps in search and rescue efforts. He looks all over St. Thomas, in hospitals, shelters, and morgues. He has to entertain the possibility that Hannah might have drowned if she did, there's a chance her body might float to the shore. He takes a boat and loops around the island several times, but there's no sign of her. Not on land, not in the waters around it. Back in Pennsylvania, Barbara waits for news, but when she learns that Jake's search comes up empty, she can't wait any longer. A group of friends and fellow Quakers pull their resources to buy Barbara a one-way ticket to St. Thomas. She touches down on November 21st, two months after her daughter was last seen. By this point, some aid has reached the island, but about 73% of residents are still without power. Safe drinking water is hard to come by, and on top of everything, they're dealing with potential health crises, like airborne mold. Hannah's also not the only missing person. At least four others have disappeared on St. Thomas during the two hurricanes, and officials barely have the resources to attend to those that are accounted for. 
Barbara drives Hannah's car around the island. Her rear window is missing, shattered from one of the storms. For Barbara, there's something comforting about being there, experiencing the same sights and smells that her daughter fell in love with, that she loved so much. In an interview for the A&E documentary, Vanished in Paradise, Barbara describes what it feels like to be on St. Thomas, saying, quote, there are moments where she seems so close that I think she's around any corner. Barbara talks to those who knew her daughter, Hannah, trying to piece together the days leading up to her disappearance. Hannah apparently stopped using her phone a few days before. Like Hannah's coworker, Norma, people say she wasn't acting like herself. Because of this, Barbara believes Hannah's fugue state likely started earlier than her trip to the beach. Something similar happened in New York. Before going on that run, Hannah stayed in her apartment for two days and didn't talk to anyone, including her roommates. She apparently watched a movie, but couldn't remember it. Hannah described the period of time as a liminal phase. Eventually, Barbara connects with a woman named Vadora Small, who offers to show her around the island. Barbara learns that the population of unhoused people has risen since the hurricanes. Many have been living in abandoned buildings in the months since. Barbara visits these buildings multiple times. She takes flyers and a picture of Hannah to ask if anyone has seen her. If her daughter didn't go in the water, maybe she got caught up in the throngs of people who sought shelter after the storms. In time, dozens of leads come in from all over the island and from surrounding islands too. There's at least one alleged sighting in Puerto Rico. Some witnesses claim to have seen a young woman with one of Hannah's distinctive tattoos, a triangle with a wave in it. Four months after Hannah's disappearance, officials receive a tip that feels especially promising. Two workers at a shelter in St. Thomas claim they saw Hannah near Market Square. The detective who gets the call, Albie and George, is optimistic. And so is Barbara. They travel together to the abandoned building where Hannah was supposedly seen. It's three stories tall and crumbling. Albion goes in first. By the time Barbara's inside, the detective has handcuffed a thin white woman with green eyes and light brown hair. If it's Hannah, he doesn't want her running away. But it's not. The woman is understandably upset. But after Barbara explains the situation, her anger turns to sympathy. Turns out she knows about Hannah. She's seen the flyers. She actually tells Barbara that she wishes she was Hannah for her. Soon, months turn into a year and new leads are harder to come by. Barbara lingers on the island. She visits Sapphire Beach a lot, the place where Hannah's car was found. She attends different religious services, finding comfort in all the communities praying for her daughter's safe return. Barbara also writes emails to Hannah, little anecdotes, chronicles of how she spends her days. Hannah logged into her email account during the first dissociative fugue, so Barbara figures maybe she will again. If she does, she wants Hannah to have a record of the time she missed. Barbara was still on St. Thomas as of 2021. As of recording this episode, the Virgin Islands police still consider Hannah's case open. Detective Albion George continues to pursue new leads. It's assumed that Hannah's third disappearance was caused by the onset of another dissociative fugue. Other recorded cases have lasted as long as four years. 
so it's possible that Hannah is still out there and doesn't know who she is. If Hannah went into the ocean that day, she could have swam to another island. She was physically strong, athletic, and a fairly accomplished competitive swimmer. She also could have been picked up by an evacuation boat leaving St. Thomas before Maria hit. Many weren't checking documents in the chaos, so she might have slipped through the cracks. That said, I should note that no one has reported actually seeing Hannah go into the water. That's just what people have assumed. It's equally possible she stayed on land. Contrary to some people's perception, fugue states aren't just aimless wanderings. According to psychiatrist Richard Lowenstein, they have intention. People forget their identity, but not their habitual memories. That's why Hannah was able to check her email. It's why she was able to communicate with others. It could also be why she had cash and identification in her car. It's possible that in her state, she was going through the motions of preparing for a long journey. There are plenty of theories about what causes dissociative fugue. Too many for me to unpack here. But it's believed that one of the most common triggers is trauma, stemming from sexual or physical abuse. Now, as far as we know, Hannah didn't experience either, but she did just survive a devastating hurricane, which certainly would have been traumatic. Another possible trigger can be stress. All three disappearances happened near the beginning of the school year, a time of more pronounced pressure, as many of her friends and colleagues have pointed out. As Dr. Philip Coons, a professor of psychology at Indiana University told the New York Times, quote, the explanation behind the fugue is that the person is running away from a bad situation. Hannah wouldn't have just walked around in a circle. She most likely would have gone somewhere specific. Inundated by stress, Hannah might have been looking for somewhere she felt at peace. And that may have been why she always ended up in water. But there's one big sticking point with this case. Not everyone is convinced dissociative fugue is the answer. There is a lot we don't know about this condition. So many of the prominent, well-documented cases feel so outlandish that people write them off as myth. It doesn't help that the most famous face is Jason Bourne, a fictional character who makes the disorder feel like it belongs in a sci-fi movie. What we do know is complicated. Neurologists and psychiatrists have argued about dissociation and its causes since Freud, and fugue itself is incredibly rare, estimated at two people in every thousand. It's not even its own condition. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders now considers it to be an aspect of the broader diagnosis of dissociative amnesia. Aaron Krasner, a professor of clinical psychiatry at Yale, suggests that it hasn't been deeply explored because it's so frightening. And it is scary that we can completely forget ourselves, the philosophy behind who we are and why we are. Hannah seemed to fear that too, especially after her disappearance in New York. Maybe it's what led her to the islands in the first place, the hope that she'd find herself in paradise. Barbara, on the other hand, tries to remember that some parts of life are just unknowable. She tells Rachel Aviv for The New Yorker, quote, I have to realize that no matter how much I know about her, no matter how much I learn, there's still a mystery. And it's with this mystery that she sits, waiting for it all to become clear, for her daughter to emerge from the darkness and remember that she's Hannah. Again. 
Anna Up is a white female, around five foot seven with brown eyes. She has three tattoos. One is a triangle with a wave through it on the inside of her right ankle. One is a sunflower on her right thigh. And the third is a Venus symbol with an extra line on the left side of her torso. She may not know her name is Hannah. Anyone with information on the whereabouts of Hannah Up is urged to contact the Virgin Islands Police Department at 340-772-5605. Thank you for listening. In the time it took you to finish this episode, 30 people disappeared in the United States alone. If you or someone you know needs assistance with a missing persons case, please visit seasonofjustice.org. Season of Justice is a nonprofit organization that provides funding to law enforcement agencies and families to help solve cold cases. For full disclosure, I am a member of the board. It's a great resource for both law enforcement and families in order to bring closure to those impacted by unsolved violent crime. Among the many sources we used for this episode, we found the New Yorker's article, How a Young Woman Lost Her Identity, and the A&E documentary, Vanished in Paradise, incredibly helpful. You can find all episodes of Disappearances and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Disappearances is a Spotify original from Parcast, executive produced by Max Cutler. Our head of programming is Julian Braro. Our supervising sound designer is Russell Nash, with Nick Johnson as our head of production, and quality control by Spencer Howard. Ali Wicker is our supervising editor, and Derek Jennings is our writing lead. This episode of Disappearances was written by Kate Murdoch, edited by Natalie Pertzowski and Connor Sampson, fact-checked by Kevin Johnson, researched by Mickey Taylor, produced by Aaron Larson, with sound design by Alex Button. I'm your host, Sarah Turney. To hear more stories hosted by me, check out my other podcast, Voices for Justice. Dahmer, Bundy, Gacy, Ramirez. You know the names, but do you know the whole terrifying story? Every Monday and Thursday on Serial Killers, take a horrific journey through the origin, evolution, and madness of a real-life murderer, exploring the reasons why they lived to kill. Some were charismatic, others were calculated, but all of them were disturbingly deadly. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Serial Killers. Listen free only on Spotify.